You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rainer Roberts. Uh, don't forget to send me questions for an upcoming Q&A episode, uh, Kickstarter edition. So if you have any specific questions about past or present Kickstarters I've run or the upcoming one, you can send them my way. Uh, or any other questions you want to ask me. I had really fun, a lot of fun with the last the last conversational episode, and I'm looking forward to doing another one in May, shortly after the Time of the Cat Kickstarter project launches. Okay, our current serial is of Knives and Night Blooms. Chapter 7, At the Nightlock. So, said Valeria in a low, teasing drawl, your escape plan came to naught then. Fuck you, said Icarus. Enjoy your bath? Swimmingly. They were back on the silken hair, the two of them lounging on the deck as the evening grew dark around them. A few hours south of the hanging market, the crew had brought the silken hair into anchor at the nightlock, along with a line of other riverboats. They'd made good time, considering the delays. Night sailing was rare as the wild magics of the river were particularly feisty at night, and it was unusual to find a crew willing to overlook their superstitions. Calix, of course, had bent the crew of the silken hair to her will, but she would have needed a crew twice the size to justify sailing through all the shifts. In any case, if you did not make it past the night log by sunset, There was no shifting until dawn the next day, when each boat would take turns, being dropped or lifted, if travelling north, to the next level of the river. The banks here were high and grassy on both sides, so it felt rather like being in a tunnel surrounded by lapping water. Icarus and the others could quite easily step from the deck of the silken hair up onto a concrete walkway. And from there, freedom. It wouldn't be difficult, except for the magic that roiled in his head. Calix had not bothered to cuff them for the night, or even tell them to stay put. Clearly Icarus's failed attempt to use the sanctuary of the shrine against his new mistress had left her more confident in her control, sadly not overconfident. Even the thought of walking away right now made his stomach cramp and his tongue taste of dandelions. The black raven had been no help whatsoever. What was the point of a god who did not defend his priests when their service was commandeered by another? The communication breakdown between the temples went some way to explaining what had happened, but Icarus knew it must be more to it than that. Such a thing could not happen by accident. Someone deep at the heart of the service of the Black Raven had betrayed them all. One of these days, dear heart, said his wife, former wife, often estranged but currently surprisingly congenial wife, idly combing her fingers through his hair, you will learn to go with the flow. Why not simply protect this stray foreign woman and her daughter and figure out the rest when we get to Phoenix Burning? 
Not everything has to be an internal war. Icarus gave her an irritated look. Why aren't you angrier about this? Normally you'd be the first to set fire to a client who decided they'd purchased more of you than you were willing to allow. Valeria had literally set fire to more than one client over the years. Their god never punished her for defending herself. Purchasing a mark was sacred, and non-temple killings were discouraged, but the body and minds of his priests were their own. Until now, damn it all. Perhaps I've been craving the serenity of a river holiday, said Valeria. Icarus peered at her, wondering if she was drugged up. But no, her pupils were normal. She looked naturally relaxed. It was disturbing. Don't examine me like you're a knight of the owl, she said, sounding irritated. I'm fine. I have a plan, that's all. What kind of plan? To go along with everything our dear Mistress Calix wants of us until she releases us from her service at Phoenix Burning, said Valeria happily. He eyed her sceptically, and then... And then, she said in the soft tones of someone greatly looking forward to a treat, the second she drops her compulsion, I'm going to murder the bitch before the rest of you get near her. Icaros was watching Valeria closely, as was his habit. She was generally the most compelling and dangerous person in the vicinity. So he saw the moment that pain overwhelmed her, the second she declared her true intentions for Calix. Her face twisted in a silent gasp. Something bright and blue emerged from her tear ducts, streaming wetly down her cheeks. Forget-me-not, buds. Clearly painful. At least they didn't have thorns though they still made her bleed at the corner of her eyes as they squeezed out from that impossibly tiny space. You bastard, Valeria moaned, staring at the blood-streaked flowers before crumpling them in one hand and casting them to the deck. I was working so hard not to imagine it too clearly. Now I have to start all over again. Good pet, complacent servant. She forced herself to relax, her shoulders rolling and her eyes losing their usual stormy gleam. There we are, she finally slurred. Nothing to see here but service and compliance. I recommend you try it, dear. It's good for the soul. He walked away from her in disgust, but there wasn't anywhere to go. Around and around the deck. They were surrounded by night blooms opening on the surface of the river. The flowers drew in clusters around each boat in the lock, like a halo of bruises. Their complex petals were a dark, dusky purple and black. They would be invisible as the water darkened into night, except for the eerie brightness of their stamens, like tiny wavering lanterns made of moonlight. Icarus had seen the phenomenon before, many times. He'd never paid more attention to them than any other kind of flower. Though now, of course, knowing this particular flower was marked on his skin as deeply as the scythe of the black raven, 
they took on an extra significance. He noticed Marty sitting at the bow, her eyes fixed on the glowing patterns of night blooms against the darkening waters of the river. Before Icarus could approach her, he smelled that familiar floral perfume and drew back moments before Calyx drifted across the deck to stand beside Marty. He intended to eavesdrop, but Marty barely spoke a few words before Calyx was whirling around, disappearing into her cabin, face grim. What did you say to her? Icarus asked, joining Marty at the bow. There were no flowers bleeding from her eyes or ears, so whatever she'd said to offend their mistress, it did not trigger a poor reaction from the spell that bound them. I asked about her taste in poetry. Seems fake. She turned to him, her eyes laughing. His breath caught for a moment, unused to seeing Marty happy after her year of misery. Why don't you ask her yourself, she suggested. Perhaps I will. Right now, shoulder brushing comfortably against hers, he did not particularly wish to move. How long to Phoenix burning? Six days if we stay on schedule. Icarus sighed heavily. Could be worse, I suppose. The ship was sleeping. Dio remained awake. It was Icarus who had determined that each of the four of them would keep a watch on the ship. In fact, he intended for the night shift to be divided between himself, Mardi and Valeria, but Dio pushed himself forward to be included. I suppose you've been training to be a gladius, said Icarus grudgingly. You must retain some useful skills. It's watching a river, Dio shot back. It's not complex. For that, Icarus had given him the graveyard shift, right in the middle of the long night. Dio did not like to examine too closely the warm glow it gave him, to be allowed even this small amount of trust. He half expected Icarus to be haunting the shadows like a beady-eyed crow to check on his work, but no. In fact, when Icarus had come in to wake him, he took Dio's place on the bed in the death priest's cabin and fell asleep beside Valeria almost instantly. Dio had stared for a few moments at the three of them side by side. He thought it strange enough that Marty and Valeria did not seem bothered to share a bed with him, a stranger. But somehow it was Icarus's trust that felt more hard won. It required trust, surely, for all of them to be willing to fall asleep in each other's presence. In any case, Dio could not linger to stare at the sleeping assassins for long. Not if he was going to do the job they expected of him. So, two hours on deck. With nothing to see but the occasional lantern from the watchman patrolling the nightlock. Nothing to hear but the snoring of sailors on deck and the lapping of water against solid objects. Shortly before it was time to wake Marty for her turn, marvellous how Icarus's distribution of shifts gave Dio the job of waking a pregnant woman, he spotted a figure dart along the top of the cabins. 
Lightly, Dio ran along the deck and climbed the side of the cabin that Calix shared with Nimue. He saw him again, a man with long dark hair caught in a braid. The man wore black, though his skin shone out bright in the moonlight, like he'd been carved out of marble. He crouched on top of the other cabin, the one containing the priests of the Black Raven. The intruder did not seem especially bothered about having been seen. On the contrary, he smiled at Dio's approach and placed one finger to his lips. Are you the bow? Dio hissed. Who else was it likely to be? You can't free them, not yet. Even telling this much made his throat close over and a sticky, sweet taste of pollen fill his mouth. Are you here to kill Calix? If this was the bow, then he had likely received the same order to assassinate the petal of the Imperium. Unlike Icarus, Mardi and Valeria, there was no compulsion to make this man to stop this man making his kill. There was something otherworldly about this man. He didn't have the same rough edges as the priests of death. No scars, no calluses on his soft fingers, no weapons come to that. He was lovely, perhaps the most beautiful person Dio had seen in his life. This was a week that had brought him into the orbit of Icarus, Valeria and Mardi. Did the Black Raven only choose servants who were aesthetically pleasing? Don't worry about it, whispered the stranger. I'll try again later. Wait, Dio protested, but the intruder leapt off the cabin and ran across the deck, climbing the frame of the nightlock. He should raise the crew with a cry. He knew that. Some night watchman, if he let someone wander around their boat without stopping him. Somehow, the thought of making a sound did not occur to Dio until after the intruder was long gone into the night. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.